Thanks for checking out this Church in the City podcast. For more information, please visit www.churchinthecity.us. Matthew 28, if you wouldn't mind turning there, we're going to be looking at the last few verses of the book of Matthew. Um, Just quickly let you know that uh, Debs and I leave with our kids uh, this Wednesday for a trip to Dubai and South Africa. We're going to be joined with about 15 others from Church in the City um, at a worldwide conference that's happening in South Africa with the churches that we partner with. Um, So more information will be announced next week, but if you can just be praying for the group from Church in the City. The last we heard was there were People from over 100 nations signed up for this event. So it's going to be an absolute logistical nightmare how they're going to translate the preaching, but that's the organizer's problem, not ours, which is great. We're going to pray for them, but we're going to just have an amazing time. And I want to ask if you wouldn't mind just keeping us in your prayers if you can. I'm sure um, each one of us have had those moments, whether it's in church or in a business setting or a social setting, where you've been the, the new person in a small group, and, and how awkward those small group moments can actually be. Uh, I, had a, I had an experience a few weeks ago where I was invited to be part of a, a Starbucks focus group. Um, saying I was invited makes me sound super special. Actually, I was offered $150 to be part of a Starbucks focus group, and no one ever wants to turn down $150. So um, I said yes, and the, the focus group was spending three hours with five strangers talking about how the Starbucks rewards program makes us feel. That was the essence of the focus group. And those of you who know me know I can get cynical very quickly, and my cynicism was at an all-time high. Um, That's when things started to get really awkward, (laughs) because I was trying to make the point, and eventually I just came out and said it towards the end, guys, Starbucks don't care how we feel. They just want us to come back and spend another $5 on a cup of coffee, to which one of the guys replied, Nothing's ever good enough for Steve. That's literally the way he said it. So that was, that was my recent very awkward small group moment. I, I kind of felt like at the time the, the guys were getting to know me a little bit too much, too well for my, for my liking. Sometimes, sometimes small group leaders uh, will use icebreakers to kind of try and alleviate some of that awkwardness. Um, if your house were to burn down, what three things would you, would you take with you? If, if you had a time machine and you could travel back in time, where would you go? Or, and and, and you know, who would you like to have lunch with? Those kinds of questions. I asked this question of our leaders uh, during the summer. And I want to I pose it to each of you and ask that you think about it as I preach this morning. This is the question I asked our leaders. Given unlimited time and resources, what would you want to do to fulfill the Great Commission? Given unlimited time and resources, what would you want to do to fulfill the Great Commission? So, so think about that while I'm preaching, and then right at the end, we're going to circle back and, and make some comments about that question. We are um, kind of teaching through this uh, theme for the year, fulfilling the Great Commission by obeying the greatest command. That's been our, that's been our passion for, t- for, for this year. It's birthed out of this desire that we feel God has given us to, to want to see the kingdom of God reach out uh, across our neighborhoods, uh, across the city and into the nations. And, and that happens as we see people, individual people, coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Their lives being transformed by the love and the grace and the power and the goodness of God. And, and, and we've, we see in Scripture, and, and we, 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 
we feel the Lord has said to us that in order to fulfill the Great Commission, we need to be motivated or stirred by this greatest command, Matthew 22, where, where Jesus, in response to the question, what is the greatest command, says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And, and that was the focus of our first couple series. We, we taught through John. We, we spoke about the, 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 the fact that Jesus is Lord and what are the implications of that. But Jesus makes a second statement in Matthew 22. The second is like it, he says. The second part of that greatest command is just like the first one. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that's been our focus through the summer, loving uh, others as we've been loved. How does the, the love of God that changes and transforms us change us and enable us to go and to, and to love others? So I say all that because it brings us to, to our last series of the year, the, simply entitled The Great Commission. Uh, we're going to do a, a study through the book of Jonah. We're going to look at how uh, relationships and how finances should be stewarded in the context of the Great Commission. We're going to talk about thanksgiving and testimonies and prayer and how that enables us to, to walk out the Great Commission, all kind of building up to December when we're going to do our Christmas outreach and uh, two sermons after that in response. So, so this is kind of the big plan for the year. And my job today is to, is to lay something of a foundation for the, for the coming series, to, to kind of uh, provide a platform from which the coming weeks will hopefully build off of. James mentioned last week that Stephen Terry Barr ministered here at Church in the City in a very, very profound and significant way. Uh, for those who don't know who Stephen Terry Barr are, they are friends who lead a church in Placerville, California, and they, they serve on this ministry team, this apostolic team that Church in the City partners with. And, and Steve, uh, last Sunday morning, m- preached on the Great Commission, but he suggested something would happen when I think it did actually did. He said that his illustration would be more remembered than his sermon. And if you, if you weren't here, what Steve did was he, he told us the incredible salvation stories of about a dozen people in his church, men and women, uh, young and old, who, who had been radically impacted by the love of Jesus. But what was significant about each salvation story, each testimony, was that someone else in Steve's church realized that the Great Commission is not a slogan to be debated or a, or a piece of theology to be picked apart, but it describes a lifestyle of people who are in love with Jesus and therefore want to do everything in their hearts to obey him and simply love the people around them. And that's what I want us to, to trust for, not just today, but as we go into the series coming up. We're going to unpack this passage. We're going to look at some details, but I want to pray. I want to ask, don't let this become a theological debate. Trust for God to impart something of his plan and purpose to us. I I would prefer you not to leave with a set of nicely taken down notes, five bullet points or whatever today. I want to trust for an impartation from the presence of God. And can I just say, that's our hearts as elders when we preach or those who preach in this church. The point of preaching is not information. The point of preaching is not an intellectual exercise. The point of preaching is the impartation of the life of God. 
I think it was Jonathan Edwards, and I stand to be corrected, but I think it was Jonathan Edwards who was asked many, many years ago in the heart of the Great Awakening, he was asked by someone if, if they could have his permission to transcribe his sermons. And I think it was him, but he said this. He said, he said yes, you can transcribe my sermons, but I'm not sure how you're going to record thunder and lightning in the presence of God. And I love that. Friends, that's why we gather together on Sundays. Not to, to, to have our brains kind of nicely tickled and to sing some nice songs. We come to meet with God. We come for, for a time of, 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 of being in his presence together with one another. We come so that he can touch us and change us and so that we can leave this place having met with Jesus. That's why we gather and that's what I want to trust that God would continue to do as he already has this morning. So Matthew 28, if you haven't turned there, this, the verse will be behind me. This is the, uh, the last few verses in the book of Matthew. Uh, we, we've nicknamed these verses the Great Commission. Um, it's not actually called the Great Commission in Scripture, but this is the phrase that we give it. Let's read from verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And my sermon is going to be simple today. I've got a lot to say, so I'm going to be aware of the clock. And if I do leave things out, please know it's, it's not my intention, but I just want to be sensitive to time. The sermon today is five things that I think everyone needs to know about the Great Commission. Five things that everyone needs to know about the Great Commission. Number one, the Great Commission has been around since Adam and Eve. Point number one, the first thing we all need to know about the Great Commission is the Great Commission has been around since the beginning of time. Genesis chapter 1, uh, it's recorded God saying these things. In Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image. And behind me, you'll notice I've put the word as, because in reading this verse and studying these verses, uh, uh, it's my conviction that the, word, the English word as is a better translation uh, to, to really stress the point that we are God's image bearers here on earth. Then God said, let us make man as our image, as our likeness, so they may rule. And so God created mankind as his own image. As the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. I, I love the order of this. Notice the order. God, God makes man in or as his image, and then before they've done anything, he blesses them. Friends, that's grace. That's the grace that we live under today because of Jesus Christ. God blesses us because we, we live under his favor because of the consequence of what Jesus has done. God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Essentially, God is saying to Adam and Eve, he's saying, he's saying Adam and Eve, as, as, as my image bearers, as those who are created as my image, those who, who get to enjoy my, the, the intimacy of my presence, those who get to walk with me in the, in the cool of the day. Just, just imagine the, 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 those quiet times that Adam and Eve got to enjoy with God before the fall. Just that incredible closeness and that incredible nearness and intimacy. 
He's saying, as my image bearers, those who are are walking under my, my total and absolute favor and blessing, he says, I want you to go and to represent me here on earth. We know, unfortunately, that in Genesis chapter three, Adam chose to trust himself and to believe the lie of the devil rather than to believe the promise that God had spoken over him. And, and in doing so, introduced sin and separation from God into the world. The devil essentially said to, said to Adam, he said, did God really say that you can't eat from that tree? Because you know, God is say, what, the reason why God says that is he knows that if you do that, you'll become like him. We know this to be true, but the tragedy of that statement is that Adam and Eve were already like God. They were created as his image, but instead they they chose to, to believe that lie. Romans 3 tells us that we too have sinned. And fallen short of God's glory. And, 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 the, and the tragedy is that, that for generations since the fall, man and woman have, have tried to spend a lifetime looking for ways to fulfill the longing and the, and the emptiness and the desperation that's in their hearts. Paul, Paul actually says in Romans chapter 1 that we have suppressed the truth by our wickedness. Friends, God has placed eternity in the hearts of every single person walking this planet. But their pride and, their, and, the, and the wickedness has suppressed that truth. And they don't know or they, or they refuse to look for how to fulfill that longing in the right places. My wife and I back in South Africa uh, uh, we were once chatting to a friend who told us this really kind of funny story, but funny and, and tragic in the same way because it illustrates the point I'm trying to make. This couple, uh, the wife loved to build puzzles, you know, those thousand piece puzzles. And, and often she would have a kitchen table that was filled with a puzzle that was a work in progress. And the kind of little game that they used to play was whenever she poured out the puzzle pieces, the husband would come along and he would steal a piece and hide it. So, so she would build the puzzle and she'd get to the last piece and, and she knew that he had the piece and he knew she knew he had the piece, but he refused to give it. And, so she, and she refused to ask him for it. And so she would spend day after day after day stubbornly trying to find the piece herself until eventually he would arrive like four days later and go, surprise, I've got the piece, and then he would put the piece in place. Now, I know that's a humorous story, but I think it so dramatically describes what I believe is happening in our, in our generation today. The, the people are, are lost. People have a, have a missing puzzle piece in their hearts. And, and friends, the church of Jesus Christ has that puzzle piece because of what Jesus has done. And the world refused to either refuse or don't know where to go to look for that puzzle piece. The culture we live in today, friends, is not a quote-unquote Christian culture. 25, 30, 40, 50 years ago, the, the culture that we lived in somewhat pointed towards Christian truth. But can I say, and this is not an indictment on our nation, but we live in a pagan society. That's the reality of, of and, but can I, what a great opportunity for the church. But let's not be like that husband who was playing a, a game. 
Let's not be like that husband who's being coy with the world saying, well, even though we know the answer, we're going to hold it until someone comes and asks for us. Friends, Jesus is the answer. We have that puzzle piece in our hand. And it's our privilege and responsibility to take that puzzle piece and to go and help people find truth. The wonderful reality of what happened in Genesis is that the moment Adam and Eve fell, God immediately stepped in to restore not only them, but the people of God back to himself. And it happens through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. God desires people to represent him here on earth. God desires his people to to be walking in his presence, to be walking out their lives in a manner worthy of the calling to be in relationship with God. He's putting us back on mission, as it were, to go and be his representatives. And that's what's happened throughout scripture. Abraham, in Genesis 12, God speaks a similar word over him. Go from your country, the Lord says, to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. The same thing was spoken over Jacob, Abraham's grandson, in Genesis 28. I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac, the uh, He says, he says, all people on earth will be blessed through you and through your offspring. And I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. This is the same story, the same uh, truth that God spoke over his people Israel. Initially bound and enslaved by, by, by the, the harsh and, and, and wicked rule of Pharaoh. And God delivers his people by the blood of the lamb, liberates them out of, out of Egypt, takes them across on a journey towards their inheritance under the presence of God. Friends, that so beautifully represents what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. We are no longer slaves to the world. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves to ourselves or slaves to the devil. God has liberated us by the blood of the lamb. We are, we are, we are added together to this family of God. We are on a journey towards our inheritance and we do it under open heavens. The presence and power of God with us. I want to say that no matter how big our city is, and yes, there is work to be done here, and no matter how big this or any other church is or becomes, unless we are following God's pattern of multiplying ourselves through the planting of churches into neighborhoods and nations, we are always falling short of God's ultimate best. The call of the Great Commission is to go and make disciples of all nations. To go and make disciples of all nations. So even as I'm speaking, you might be saying, well, what's the application for me? And to be honest, I don't know. Man, maybe I shouldn't be saying that as the preacher. But maybe the application for every single person sitting here is this. Even as I'm preaching, ask God just to enlarge your heart. Ask God to, the, the dreams that you have, ask God to stretch you even more. A friend of mine used to say, if you can achieve the promises of God, they're not God's promises. I love that. Dream wildly. Dream lavishly. Let God expand your heart this morning as we go through this word together. 
The other thing that I want you to notice about the Great Commission that we've looked at briefly, and don't worry, the other four points are not going to take this long if you, if you are time watching, but, but not just the call to the nations, but I want you to notice the call to multiple generations, the call that rests upon Adam and Eve is the same call that rests upon the disciples, and it's the same that rests upon us. God is the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. God is the God of, of, of Tim Lusk, of James Lusk, and of Gideon Lusk. The, power, the, the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of many, despite the generation in which we live. Friends, I want to remind us all, it's not just the parents in this room who have the privilege and the responsibility to bring through the next generation. That is a biblical responsibility that rests upon each one of us. You might be saying, well, Steve, I'm not from a godly family. I don't have a a godly father or mother. Well, guess what? The good news is you get to be Abraham. You get to start the legacy. You get to put into place something which your parents didn't do. And maybe you're here today and you say, well, Steve, I'm single. I don't have children. This is not about physical multiplication so much as it is about spiritual multiplication. Who are you learning from and who are you multiplying in? Is your life worthy of being multiplied? The Great Commission has been around since Adam and Eve. Secondly, the Great Commission flows from Jesus's authority. The Great Commission flows from Jesus' authority. He, before Jesus commissions the church, he makes this amazing statement. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is saying, this is who I am. The one who is speaking this over you. I'm not, this is not Joe from, who, who works in the produce department at Mariano's. This is Jesus who is saying, all authority in heaven and earth. And no offense if there's a Joe who works in the produce department at Mariano's, by the way. But this is Jesus who is saying, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. I think Jesus is saying two things in that statement. Number one, he's saying, I have the authority to command this of you. But he's also saying, I have the authority to make sure that if you do this, it will be a success. Paul, uh, in Acts chapter 22, or 23, I think it is, recounts his incredible salvation story, the moment that he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And, and Paul, in his salvation story, mentions two significant questions that he asks of the Lord. Who are you, Lord? And what do you want me to do? And we will never know, friends, what we are called to do until we first know who Jesus is. Who are you, Lord? Well, a couple of verses that speak about who Jesus is. Philippians 2. He is the one who is exalted to the highest place and given the name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess. Hebrews chapter one, he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Revelation 19, he is the one called faithful and true. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. His name is the word of God. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword and on his robe and thigh, he has the name written, 
King of kings and Lord of lords. Who are you, Lord? Who are you to give us this commission? Jesus is saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Thirdly, Jesus commissioned a community, not a group of individuals. Jesus commissioned a community, not a group of individuals. Look at verse 16 with me. I don't think I've got it on, uh, up on the screen behind me. Maybe I do have. But verse 16 is the, is the, kind of sets the scene to this incredible commission of Jesus. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And then to this, to this group that would ultimately become the leaders in the church in Jerusalem, the church that would plant churches across the planet, Jesus speaks this commission. In the New Testament, the community of God's people is called the church. And, and although the Bible teaches very clearly that, that God gifts very unique and specific gifts of grace to each and every one of us, there are, there are unique things that God has given each one of us to do. Uh, I think it's Ephesians 2.10, uh, Paul writes uh, that God has prepared good works in advance for us to do. Each one of us have specific, unique, good works can I say it is always God's intention for those good works to be outworked in, in the community of the local church. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says this, Each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Paul writes in Philippians 3 verse 2, he says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me, listen to this, given to me for you. God's grace, God's gifts, God's calling, God's destiny, God's purpose on your life is not for you. God gives you gifts, God gives you grace, God gives you uh, callings for others. God's grace for me, for you, Paul says. No matter how profound the revelation of God's calling on your life, no matter how powerful the moment you've spent in God's presence, no matter how sure you are of the call of God, it is always part of the whole. God wants us to bring our respective gifts together and to be able to display his manifold glory and wisdom to the world. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10 says that God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold, the multifaceted, the multivaried wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. Friends, every time we gather here on Sunday, every time Dave and Kathy Swartz gather in Columbus or any other church that exalts the name of Jesus, we are not just displaying the manifold wisdom and glory of God to the city. This verse says we are displaying the manifold wisdom and glory of God to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. This is of cosmic importance. 
The church is not just a good idea. And I know I'm raising my voice and I'm not angry with anyone. I am just incredibly passionate about this. The church is not just a good idea. It is God's plan to display the splendor of his grace to the people from every nation and every generation. That's why we gather together on Sundays to say, God, what can you do today? What unknown, exciting thing are you going to be doing today in our hearts? That's why it's so important that we gather together. Jesus commissions the community of his people, not just a group of individuals. Nearly finished. Number four, the emphasis of the Great Commission is making disciples. Verse 18, therefore go... Sorry, 19, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. A Peanuts cartoon, I shared this before, but Lucy in, in the Peanuts cartoon says to Charlie Brown, she says, Charlie Brown, I think I want to change the world. And so Charlie Brown says, well, where are you going to start? And of course, Lucy says, Charlie Brown, I think I'm going to start with you. And, and, and we all know that Lucy has an edge. We all know that she, she wants to change Charlie Brown and make him a better person. But there is something profoundly truthful about what Lucy is saying. The kingdom of God, the, the great commission is fulfilled one person at a time. I want you to catch the expanse and the bigness of the great commission, but also the, 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 specific, the, specific, the specificness of the Great Commission. That's a terrible word for for a guy with a stutter. That's a really bad word. The specificness of the Great Commission. Forgive my bad English. But but capture the broadness, but then the, the, the unique call that's on your life. God has placed you in a community of people that you alone are uniquely gifted and equipped to reach. And together we do this. Quickly, three parts to the Great Commission. Firstly, that we go. We have to go. But in the, and I don't want to get too technical, but in the original uh, uh, Greek, the going is assumed. If I said to someone, you know, Jamie, would, uh, when you go to the store, will you get some eggs? The point is not that Jamie would go to the store and then kind of wander around like, what do I do? No, the point is that she gets eggs. The going is assumed. And that's the point of this. The going is assumed. We are a sent people. Adam and Eve were sent. Abraham was sent. Jacob was sent. Jesus was sent. Jesus says, just as I've been sent, I'm sending you. We are a sent people. Once we are sent, we are called then to go and make disciples. And I I hope one day to do a teaching on this, but a disciple is not a follower. A disciple is linked intimately to the reality of Jesus being rabbi. I've been doing some study on that and listening to some preaching on that, and it is a profound truth. A disciple was attached very intimately to his rabbi, just as Jesus wants us very intimately to be attached to him. And the distinguishing mark of a disciple, it says here two things. One, they're baptized. James spoke about that earlier. Secondly, that they learn to obey. I want to say this about obedience, friends. Obedience in the scriptures, the context is always relationship. Please don't forget that. 
The context for obedience in the scriptures is always relationship. Jesus' first obedience was not to the needs of the world, but to the will of the Father. The needs of the world were met through Jesus because he obeyed the will of the Father, not because he responded to the need of mankind. And friends, this is such an important question for us and for me. Those of you who know me well know how busy I can be. And I felt the Lord challenge me this kind of start of the new school year. Am I obedient or am I busy? Are you obedient or are you busy? Lastly, the Great Commission is about God's presence. The Great Commission is about God's presence. Not only are we, by making disciples, inviting, helping people come back to the place they were meant to be, which is in the presence of the Lord. Not only that, but God says to us, in doing that, he will always be with us. Verse 19, verse 20 says that, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Friends, the presence of God is the distinguishing mark of God's people. In Exodus 33, Moses understood that the Israelites had been powerfully delivered out of slavery. They had, they had uh, crossed the Red Sea. They were, they were on this journey. But, but uh, Moses went before the Lord and he said, Lord, that's not enough. We need your presence. Don't send us out from this place unless your presence goes with us. And friends, we need to hear that in a day in which we live. The hour is dark. The time is dark. But with the presence of the Lord, it is an incredible opportunity for the church of Jesus Christ to be who we are called to be. So the Great Commission has been around since Adam and Eve. It flows from Jesus' authority. Jesus commissions a community, not just a group of individuals. The emphasis is on making disciples, and it's about God's presence. And so as we close this morning, I want to come back to that original question that I asked. Given unlimited time and resources, what would you want to do to fulfill the Great Commission? I hope you've been thinking about that. Because here's my response. That is a terrible question. That is a terrible question to ask of you. Because who on this planet has ever had unlimited time and resources? And yet this word is full of people in ordinary situations that you and I face. Raising children, under financial pressure, not sure of what tomorrow will bring. Facing persecution, facing time constraints. And yet they did amazing things for God. And I want to say, friends, the greatest resource that you and I need to change this world and to advance the kingdom of God is not time and resources. The greatest thing, if I can use that word, that we need, that we have, is relationship with Jesus. Relationship with Jesus. So here's my question as we go. Despite your limited time and resources, what would you want to do to fulfill the Great Commission? 
I want you to think about that this week. I'm asking you, please, don't say that was a nice sermon or that was a terrible sermon, whatever it is, but go from this place. Even if you think it was a terrible sermon, please go from this place and ask the question. Given very limited time and very small resources, what has God put in my heart to do to fulfill the Great Commission? I end with this little story from Joshua 3. It's a beautiful passage of scripture, one of my favorites. Joshua is about to lead Israel across the Jordan into the promised land. And they're standing before, I mean, Joshua, I can just so identify with him. The the great Moses has, has passed away. And Joshua is feeling the pressure of leading Israel into their inheritance. And, and they come to the Jordan River and it's in flood. And, uh, and they, they, they're preparing to cross over. And Joshua says these amazing words in, in Joshua chapter 5. Uh, sorry, Joshua chapter 3 verse 5. He says this, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. I feel that's a word for us today, friends. I feel that's a word for church in the city in this season, that we would consecrate ourselves, that we would say, Lord, here I am. Here I am. I want to, I, I, I love you and I want to obey you and I, want to, and I want to ask that you would do amazing things through me. I consecrate myself today, Lord, so that tomorrow we can see God do amazing things. And by tomorrow, I'm not trusting tomorrow means 50 years from now. I'm trusting. My faith is that tomorrow would be tomorrow. That tomorrow would be as we walk out this door. That that this would be the, the now season for the church of Jesus Christ. Now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God be made known to the world. Can you pray with me this morning? Lord, we just, if I'm gonna just... Lead, lead you guys in a prayer of saying, Lord, I consecrate myself. So I, I'm telling you that now, that if, there, if you identify with that, would you pray with me? Lord, I, I just consecrate myself in a fresh way this morning. I, 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 I bring you, as best as I know how, I bring you my life. I give you my life. I don't want to hold anything back. I don't want to hold on to anything. I want to lay everything down at your feet. And Lord, together we trust that you would do amazing things in our midst, through us, into our neighborhoods, across the city, into the nations of the world. Jesus, thank you that you have all authority in heaven and earth. And thank you that you have commanded and commissioned and released your presence upon us to go and do the work that you've called us to do. We just respond by saying, Lord, here we are. Not here we are, send Chris and Nancy. Or here we are, send Nate and Jamie. No, Lord, here we are. Here I am. Send me. Send me, Lord. Send me, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. If you're here today, just be quickly before I hand over to James, just as every eye is closed. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to say today is the day of salvation. 
This is not about religion. This is not about joining this church. This is not about doing your religious duty. This is about relationship with the living God. This is about relationship with the, with the one who has all authority in heaven and earth. Jesus is that missing puzzle piece in your heart. If you're here today and you say, Steve, I don't know Jesus, but I want to. I want to invite Jesus into my life today. It would be my incredible privilege just to lead you right where you are seated in a prayer that says, Jesus, would you come into my heart today and be my Lord and Savior? I receive the free gift of life that is found in you. If that's you today, could you quickly lift up your hand and look at me? I'd love to lead you in that prayer right now. Anyone would like to respond to that? Quickly just lift up your hand. Would love to pray and celebrate you coming into relationship with Jesus. Father, thank you for salvation Thank you that every day is the day of salvation. Lord, we trust that this city would be transformed, not by good works, but by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.